Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And I don't know if you are one of those people who decided to stay up until the wee hours of the morning to see what was going on in America uh, with probably one of the most contentious campaigns in a US general election in quite some time. I went to bed. I couldn't. I said I was saying if I stay up until two or three in the morning, I'll just be exhausted. So I said, no, I'll do it the flip. I got I was in bed for 11 and I was back up again at five to catch up on what had happened overnight. Not a lot happening now this morning, obviously, because they're gone to bed and I was glad to see when they sent some of the count centres and decided to call it a day when I got to about two in the morning for them uh, because that's when mistakes start to get made if people are, are tired and you don't want to give anybody cause to say were mistakes made, was there fraud going on in any way and of course that's what happened a couple of hours ago. I, to me it didn't really come as any real surprise even though for a lot of Americans they seem to be quite shocked when they heard Donald Trump he was in the White House, came out and addressed reporters and his supporters all uh, cheering uh, came out and addressed the reporters and uh, saying you know that well he first of all declared victory even though there's still voting going on and it just seemed really bizarre what he was saying it was almost like he was saying you can stop counting now I don't well at first when he said you can stop voting obviously voting has already stopped whether he doesn't understand that or not it's only the counting that is continued and they are within their rights to continue counting all of the votes. Uh, They can't just stop counting because President Donald Trump isn't happy with it. So it was was a little bit bizarre but we still don't know. It's still hard to call. As a gambling betting person, I wouldn't know who I would be putting my money on. You can never rule out Donald Trump but certainly Joe Biden, his little bit of a speak that he gave to his supporters and to reporters this morning was to to keep the faith. He still seems confident that there is a chance that he could be the next uh, president. So no doubt more will unfold as the day goes on uh, today. We will be talking about it with Sean Defoe, our political editor this morning, who's also We'd invited Sean also on uh, to join us on the programme to talk about Leo Varadkar and Leo Varadkar, as we know, when we signed off from the programme yesterday, was getting ready to go into the Dáil to talk about and to give his explanation for the sharing of the confidential contract document with doctors' unions. It was something that actually happened, I think it was April of last year when it actually happened, but the leak about it only came out and then uh, Leo was being referred to as Leo the leak. So he got the opportunity yesterday to explain why he had given this copy of this confidential 
IMO contract to Dr. Matthew O'Toole. And of course, Dr. Matthew O'Toole at the time would have been head of an opposing GP union. It's the NAGP uh, union and it was confidential and he shouldn't have done it. Anyway, Leo will be talking through what Leo gave as his defence yesterday and he also went on of course yesterday to apologise to everybody in the door but I think it went on for about two hours where the opposition got to grill Leo Varadkar and from what I saw of it it seemed to have worked really well in that all of the opposition now whether all these opposition parties got together and decided, decided it, it was almost like rapid fire questions so it did mean that Leo had to answer more questions but we also got more information rather than having somebody get up and do a big spiel as to what you did was wrong and give all the reasons as to why you felt what Leo did was wrong. I thought it worked much much better giving these rapid fire uh, questions. So your thoughts if you were following on that story, your thoughts welcomed on that as I say we will talk about it a little bit more on the programme today. But a little bit of good news, can we take a little bit of good news on our COVID numbers and certainly fresh hopes that the second COVID-19 wave is coming under control. Yesterday, I nearly jumped up and down in the kitchen when the news came through of the figures for yesterday. The lowest number of new cases that we've seen in quite a few weeks, 322 new cases were diagnosed for the previous 24 hours. Number of patients in hospital also has come down. Now, sadly, there was five more deaths, but that's really highlighting that the toll that the virus is taking on the older age group. And it really was starting to worry me over the last number of days and across last week when we saw there was an increase in older people getting diagnosed with COVID-19 because they are the ones more than likely who could die from it. So it's always a worry when you see people over the age of 65 or an increase in the number of new cases over the age of 65. The number of cases in Dublin where the spread of coronavirus hasn't been falling as fast as in other counties and certainly Neffet and the government haven't been happy with what's going on in Dublin but even yesterday there was a reduction in, in the numbers for Dublin they were down at, at 96 when you compare that to the previous day there had been 321 new cases in the capital on Monday so that was down to 96 so let's hope that that continues today and across this week and for us here in Cork Again, a very low number for us here in Cork, one of the lowest I've seen in quite a few weeks. We were 23 new cases uh, yesterday. Again, fingers crossed that that number will be even lower when we get the figures later on this evening. Those that were in hospital then, 296 COVID-19 patients in uh, hospital, 42 in intensive care. Again, that was up to 2 o'clock yesterday. Again, compare that to up to 2 o'clock the previous day. There have been 322 patients in hospital so that's down to 296 and the intensive care bed ones they had been at 44 the previous day and they are down to uh, 42. Now Tony Houlihan while giving all of these figures and we all taken a little bit of hope from it he is warning about any false sense of uh, security and he says we still have several more weeks of lockdown still to go well we actually have another four when you take it it's it's two weeks today that we are into a level five but he did, he did say that due to the efforts of the people across Ireland we are seeing improvements in COVID-19 so let's all pat ourselves on the back well, we won't leave our guard down but we'll just take a bit of comfort from it that everything that we've been giving up over the last two weeks 
that it is paying dividends and that it is uh, working. Tony Hoolan says we must remember that maintaining this downward trend is now the most important thing that we need to do. The value of our progress depends on continuing all of the safe behaviour that has got us to this uh, position and he's urging everyone uh, to ensure that the initial uh, trends uh, continue. So that's where we all have to just keep doing, keep doing what we are doing. And of course, everyone does it in the hope that Christmas, we were kind of promised we'd have some kind of a normal Christmas. If we stick with this six weeks, another four weeks to go, what kind of a normal Christmas are we going to have? And I know for many families, Christmas is going to be a lonely and a sad time because if you have loved ones living overseas, there's that people hoping and praying that the airports, while well, they're open, but the flights will all be back up and we'll be able to welcome loved ones home at this Christmas. And yesterday, Dr. Tony Houlihan was before one of the, it was the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, I think he was called into uh, yesterday, where he was asked about, you know, will, will we be seeing our loved ones coming home for uh, Christmas? And the, I felt yesterday listening to Tony Houlihan, there wasn't, he wasn't giving a lot of good news and a, um, and a lot of prospect of Christmas homecomings at airports uh, this year. He said the situation at the moment is international travel of non-essential nature is simply not uh, safe. And he was saying when he was being pushed then to say, do you think that restrictions will be lifted in time so that people will be able to fly in and out of this country. He said it simply wasn't possible to look forward six weeks to say that non-essential international travel will be allowed in the lead up to uh, Christmas. I mean, basically saying he doesn't have a crystal ball. He doesn't know what way the figures are going to be. He said movement of populations around areas with high experience of the disease. And he, you know, in particular, he spoke about the United Kingdom and Europe and parts of America. And he said, if you are bringing people in and out of those countries and bringing them into Ireland, he said it simply is not safe because those countries have such high levels of cases. I mean, they all of those countries are now starting to do what we're doing in the hope of bringing down uh, their numbers. He outlined, for example, the risks posed by travel and how the impact of cases imported from other countries is all the greater when COVID-19 levels are dropping in this country. And when I heard him say that, I mean, it kind of brought me back to, you know, how did how did COVID-19 end up in this country? It ended up in this country because people brought it in from other countries. So if we start to keep doing what we're doing, flattening the curve again, and if we continue to very low cases of COVID-19, I can understand what Tony Houlihan is saying, why would we suddenly say to people to come from countries where there's high levels of COVID-19 why would we would we say come you know come one come all we welcome you because what will happen a proportion of those people and not deliberately it'll never be done deliberately but a portion of those people will travel into the country feeling fine not even realising that they have COVID-19 with them and I know the you know he quoted the World Health uh, Organisation and the fact that the how worried they are about the number of new cases in Europe and that it's increasing exponentially and across Europe there was more than 1.3 million new cases recorded during the most recent seven day recording 
uh, reporting period. I mean, that's a staggering amount. I mean, they have second waves across countries in Europe that is absolutely way worse than what their first wave even was. And he says, you know, because of that, you look to European uh, countries and obviously that's where a lot of our loved ones are living and working or are living and working in, in America. And if they are countries which are having huge amounts of positivity of COVID-19 every day, I can actually understand what, why he is saying international travel is simply too risky. But at the moment he's saying it is just too early to say. We've got to see where we will be as, as a country, say two weeks away from Christmas and then also to look to those other countries to see have they got a handle because if they start doing what we're doing we've gone into level five we're showing and proving that level five and these tougher lockdown restrictions are working if the other European countries do the same and they start reducing their numbers then maybe 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 fingers crossed we may be able to have loved ones come home for Christmas because I know for many Christmas will be a very sad and a lonely place if loved ones aren't going to be able to join you around your Christmas table. 1850 And just talking of people who are lonely, this text came in just before I came on air at 10 o'clock and I think this is a rather nice idea. Hi Patricia. I was thinking, wouldn't it be good to have a writing buddy system for p- patients and residents in nursing homes, especially now that on post is offering free postage to to and from nursing homes. Wouldn't it be great perhaps to get school children to start writing letter, letters to patients? It would give them a little bit of a lift. Isn't that? I think that is a really nice idea. A little bit kind of like pen pals. Remember pen pals? Certainly when I was in school we had pen pals. I don't know if children, they probably don't have pen pals anymore because they can email people. But there's something nice about getting a handwritten letter or a card. And do you remember during the first lockdown, wasn't it? Nazareth House we're encouraging people to send in drawings. Wasn't that coming up to Easter? I remember we did something with Nazareth House in Mallow. That was certainly during the first lockdown. But I think that's a lovely idea from that listener. And I suppose all people would have to do, even if locally it was done, that if locally somebody contacted a nursing home to say, you know, have you residents that would enjoy getting a letter in the post and then just get, you know, the names of different residents who would like to get a letter and then as this listener is saying maybe schools could get involved but maybe individuals at home who like to write letters and wouldn't mind writing a letter because once it's addressed to a nursing home there's no you don't need to put a stamp on it and if the person in the nursing home wants to write back they can I, I think that's a really nice idea but it would be up to individual nursing homes whether they would want to get involved in that or not and up to I suppose individual people to contact their local nursing home to see if there's anybody there would like a letter but the first time since the formation of the new government, the Thornishta, Leo Varadkar, has come under intense personal scrutiny following claims made in the Village magazine at the weekend. Yesterday, Leo Varadkar addressed the doll with his side of the story. And to fill us in on how it all went, I'm joined by our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning. Uh, you, have, you, have you gone to bed? Were you up all night doing the US elections as well? I, I think I might have fallen asleep for about 20 minutes at some point this morning. But other than that, no, yes. Is it up, up through the night following every twist and turn and all the drama. Because you had huge drama in the doll and then straight over to what was going on in the States. Talk to me about the US uh, election first. Still too close to call. Oh, still too close to call, but uh, fascinating developments even in the, the, the last kind of 20 minutes or so. Biden has taken a very marginal lead in Wisconsin, which is one of the, the last remaining 
real swing states and which would provide him with a path to the White House if he can flip with Wisconsin, perhaps even Michigan as well, which uh, the race has been tightening over the last couple of hours. But it does look as though we'll get a result for Wisconsin today, which will put him within touching distance. And then we're going to have really the two states of, um, of Michigan and Pennsylvania that are a total toss-up and might take two days to actually sort through all the various votes and permutations and either of those will crown either Trump or, or Biden. And then quite aside from that, there's what the, the both of them create, create, um, claiming victory themselves this morning in, in very different ways. So it's been a lot of twists and turns with more still to come. And even after more, you know, 12 hours after the last poll closed, we're no clearer to knowing exactly who it will be. Yeah, and they're they're sort of getting to the stage. It's the postal votes they're counting and will be. I know some of the count centres have gone home to get a few hours sleep, which is understandable. But the, do, do, do the postal votes favour Biden more than Trump, do you think? Uh, they do, I think. The, the whole democratic strategy for getting their vote out was to do it by postal vote rather than getting people to, to turn up because their voters typically um, more afraid of the, the coronavirus and the uh, uh, believing in it more than quite a lot of Trump supporters than what we have typically seen throughout the uh, night has been this, the postal votes, and particularly the postal votes from big urban areas, from metropolitan areas, have tended to favour Biden. And now the question really is that Trump has a lead in, in those states of Michigan and, and Pennsylvania that I mentioned, also in Georgia, which has been tightening. But the remaining votes appear to be postal votes, and they appear to be from those areas that are strongly Biden. So it's how much... Uh, can he get out of those to actually maybe claw back one or two of those states in, in order to claim what would be a turnaround victory at this stage? And then just after seven o'clock our time, Donald Trump came out and addressed his supporters and uh, reporters. Was he, I, I was watching that live and I, was he telling people to stop counting? It was extraordinary, I thought, his statement. He effectively seemed to be, yes, you know, we're, we're done counting it because he was ahead. You, you had just had uh, Joe Biden minutes before him actually coming out and saying, look, we need to respect the vote. Every vote needs to be counted. We feel confident that we're going to win it, but we need to see how this is going to play out and have a little bit of patience. And Donald Trump come out and say, says that he thought uh, he won it and that this was a stitch up by the Democrats to try and now claw it back and very much doing what he has been doing for months in casting doubt about the the postal votes. He seemed to suggest that basically the Democrats would be finding packages of votes down the back of the couch through the night to steal away what is his victory because he had the lead, despite you know us knowing that in these key states he has the lead because his voters were effectively counted first, the ones that voted in person as opposed to the postal votes. Um, so he said it didn't quite make clear what he was going to go to the Supreme Court about, but suggested he was going to try and stop voting from happening, even though voting had already concluded. So it, the insinuation did appear to be that he wanted uh, the counting of those votes to stop and for effectively some voters to be disenfranchised. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. So we, you reckon we may have a result today or it may take another few days? I think it, it might take another few days. We, we could get one tonight, our time, depending on how certain things fall. I think we will see possibly in the next hour or two a result out of Wisconsin, which will give us a very uh, good indication of where things might go elsewhere. But it seems like Pennsylvania has a lot to get through and they've been warning for a while they might get done all their votes until Friday. The same with Michigan and that's going to be uh, incredibly, incredibly tight. So we could have a situation where both of them are sitting somewhere around the 260 mark uh, with your goal being 270 and waiting for the 
very last pieces to drop and we, we I just genuinely don't know how long that is going to take at this stage. Okay, and while that was all going on and is going on across the water in the Atlantic, we were having our own controversy unfolding here in the Dáil. I suppose recap first, Sean, on what was revealed by the Village magazine at the weekend about Leo Varadkar. So what was revealed this last year, uh, Leo Varadkar leaked a a confidential document to the head of the National uh, Association of General Practitioners and to the president of which was a friend of his, Dr. Matthew O'Toole. Um, and this had happened after this particular GP contract had been negotiated with the IMO. The NAGP hadn't been at the table for those negotiations. And what the opposition was claiming is that this gave them an unfair advantage, that he was doing a friend uh, a favour by uh, giving it this document which could have conferred financial or competitive advantage to the NAGP. Now what Leo Varadkar and what a series of ministers over the last few days outlined is that they believed that the uh, key tenants of this document, the key details of the deal were actually well in the public sphere by the time that he passed on the document, that he did it in order to keep the NAGP effectively in the loop to negotiations that they weren't a party of but were yet going to be affected by he did admit that he didn't do it in a proper manner that this should have done been done through official channels he also revealed yesterday that he didn't tell anyone else about it no not the health minister who was associated with the deal not any of his officials uh, or any officials in the department of health and he said that was bad practice and, and shouldn't have have done it and this he believed look there was no illegality here he raised a number of legal concerns he had with the article village magazine said he was considering a defamation action against them but had made a decision on that particularly around claims in that article that he had engaged he had broken the law by doing this that he had engaged uh, in illegality which is something he completely uh, denies so quite a, a lot of a back and forth claim and counterclaim the door last night with Neil Breikers and uh, core tenants being look, this was not sensitive information because the uh, a lot of it was out there in the public domain already. It didn't confer any advantage and that he didn't break the law in doing so. And it went on in the doll for once he read his his prepared speech and then the opposition took over and it was a grilling that went on for about two hours, wasn't it? It was. They uh, had quite a long time, about an hour and a half of questions following a, a 20-minute statement from the Tornish stand. It was actually one of the most effective sessions of questioning that I've seen in the Dáil in quite a while. Instead of the usual speechifying that you quite often get in these scenarios, there was short, sharp questions. It was almost a courtroom-esque from the likes of Pierce Doherty, Aon O'Reilly, Dawn, Catherine Murphy, Catherine Connolly, very effective uh, TDs, uh, Patrick Tobin and, and Paul Murphy as well, really giving the teacher uh, quite, or the tarnisher rather, uh, that's another slip that everyone keeps on making at the moment. <laughs> Kelly, uh, can I stop the, you on that? The amount of people yesterday that made that mistake as well. Oh, and the teacher himself has made that mistake twice in the last 48 oh. hours from his own position, the count corner, the last count corner. Um, it's just, I suppose it speaks to the position of power Leo Varadkar is in as the former and future teacher. Uh, but he is, of course, the tonist and he's the one who was defending himself uh, in the door last night. Some of it uh, quite awkward. He did say that he believed uh, Matthew O'Toole in the, the private text messages that have been screenshot and now fairly widely shared in Village Magazine and elsewhere that uh, Matthew O'Toole was playing up his relationship and over-egging it, as the Tornister put it, in, in how much influence he was giving one of those uh, messages basically implied that Leo was uh, forever doing him favours and leaking and getting him stuff. He denied that was the case and said he was, while he was a friend of Matthew O'Toole's, he wasn't a, a particularly good friend, that they were more of a, a casual acquaintance. At one point he said there are friends 
friends and there are friends. And so, you know, very much throwing him uh, under the bus in one sense there. And the other, I suppose, standout moment really uh, from it was particularly awkward questioning from Pader Tobin when the Aintu leader asked Leo Varadkar, have you ever leaked anything confidential from Cabinet? And there was five minutes of an awkward silence when uh, before the Tornister replied, uh, nothing confidential of this nature, no, and kind of stumbled over the answer. So that did raise, raise further questions. But he insists, and the teacher insists, that there are no other confidential documents of this kind uh, have ever been leaked by him. And Dr. Matthew O'Toole, actually, we've had him on this programme. I mean, he's one of those really media-friendly uh, GPs. I mean, he's, he's always, you know, a dream to interview and, and he he comes across really well. And I know listeners love when we have him on because he'll answer any question. He's gone very quiet um, he has. Well, I, I think probably understandably that he issued a statement under the, the ages of the NAGP, but I, I think for the while he, he is going to stay quiet about this because there's a lot of egg on his face. These screenshots uh, from him didn't exactly show him in a fantastic light or the, the use of language um, that, that he had used, for for example, in saying that the, the tarnished uh, doesn't give a jot, uh, to put it in politer language than was mm. used about direct provision um, and some of the other uh, language that was used in those haven't shed him in a uh, in a particularly good light. So I'd say he will uh, lay low for the time being. But he also, I, I would imagine, has some um, recourse to, to feel a little bit hard done by from the Dole session yesterday because Leo Varadkar did pretty much throw him under the bus by saying he was over-egging his position uh, and his influence as a contact of the Tornish uh, and uh, that he was uh, effectively playing up how much influence that he had uh, within the NAGP at the time or certainly within government to influence the, the actions of the NAGP. And um, so I'm sure we will hear from him again in the future, but I think quite understandably he is laying low for now. Is Leo damaged or just bruised from all of this? I think definitely damaged, but I don't think fatally damaged. Uh, speaking to a couple of opposition leaders off the record last night after the debate, they, they were kind of saying, look, they might try and knock a little bit more out of it, but unless there is any further revelation, it comes out that the, this was not the first time or the only time that the Tornista, um had leaked something or some, some other further addition to the story that he, he is probably safe in his position, isn't going to have to resign. Um, but it is um, certainly a question mark over his judgment. There are questions over future negotiations that he might be involved in, the likes of the public sector pay deal that is going to have to be negotiated has been highlighted, the likes of the fact that the Tornishta is the Minister in Charge of Industrial Relations and dealing with trade unions in, in that aspect at the moment. So he, his reputation dead, which had been the, the Teflon Tornishta in many ways, that a lot of the controversies that surrounded him never implicated him. Uh, I think this one uh, did and has somewhat tarnished his reputation. OK, but he's done enough to appease Fianna Fáil and the Greens? Yeah, certainly Fianna Fáil were backing him. The Taoiseach was backing him. I think there was two Fianna Fáil ministers in the chamber last night and Darrow O'Brien and Charlie McConnell uh, at various stages of the Green Party last night. There had been a little bit of a question. They had kind of uh, left a bit open-ended as to whether they would support him and said they wanted to hear his statement, but they put out their own statement last night pretty much backing him uh, and dismissing uh, the issue, saying they wanted to get on now with the business of government, even though this was an in- inappropriate thing, effectively, that it wasn't a hanging offence. So the pressure isn't going to come from his government colleagues. It seems to be dying down from most of the opposition as well. So it looks as though uh, this time around, at least he's safe. OK, listen, appreciate you talking to us, uh, Sean. Hopefully you'll be managed to get a few hours sleep today because I think you're going to need it. But thanks a million uh, for joining us on the programme.
Thanks, Millie. Good morning to you. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor, who no doubt is surviving on caffeine at the moment. John says Leo Varadkar should be made to step down. He breached confidential information. He should not be tarnished uh, this morning. Uh, and now the Taoiseach is just brushing it off and has forgiven him. John feels that is ridiculous. If it was anybody else, he would be made to stand down. 1853-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp with level 5 restrictions now in place it's more important than ever to keep it local that's why C103 asks you to make every effort to shop locally whether it's in store for essentials online or click and collect a thriving local economy is good for everyone you'll save time and support local jobs Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Thank you for keeping it local. Thank you for keeping it local. From everyone at C103. Regional Game Council officials were informed last week that the shooting season due to begin on November 1st would not be going ahead this year because of Level 5 restrictions. Independent and rural TDs and Senators are not happy about the uh, decision Uh, and also Senator Tim Lombard isn't happy and he joins me. Good morning to you Tim. Good morning. Um, Are you pointing the finger of blame at the Green Party for this decision? I know not particularly. I think it's more so the inconsistencies that we have with it, the new COVID um, level five restrictions. I think when they were announced, um, like I give you a prime example, we had mass scores were uh, brought down to five or to ten if you were to go to mass, but or if you go to a funeral, then it was, if you go to a wedding, it was up to twenty five. For a funeral, it was only ten. So like there was loads of inconsistencies in the. But then they, cha- in fairness, they changed that. They did. Yeah. I think that's the important thing. We got movement on that, so people who could go to funerals was brought up to twenty. And that was an important step. I think that's the catalyst behind this debate itself. It's we've got change in that key issue. There's other issues out there, whether it's people who want to go to the mart and social distance, or in this case, people who want to go shooting game. So I just think there's inconsistencies within the policy that we just have to try and iron out. It's been a very, very tough two weeks. I think that's the first thing. I think you know, and we've another month of this to go. I think the mental health of so many people is a real crucial issue in how we actually take people on this journey to ensure we actually get to, you know, flattening the curve that we've been talking about for the last seven or eight months. And how we actually do that is by bringing people with us. And I am genuinely concerned that this is just a step too far. Like, this is literally one man and his dog walking within five kilometres of his house, shooting game. Like, to me, there's no major issue regarding spread of disease, about social distancing. You couldn't have an environment which is so 
perfect for actually social distancing as one man and his dog out shooting game. So I just think it's one of the key issues that we have to kind I, of and, yeah, and out. I know the Gardaí came out uh, last week and said that they felt the recreational hunting did not fall under the exemptions that allowed for exercise. Is it the five kilometre rule? Are they fearful that people that hunt will go outside the five kilometre rule? I, I think that's one of the issues that I've come up with when I was talking to the department about this, that they reckon, you know, gun clubs that will have districts in an area that you might have a scenario that they'll try and hunt within that area, which might take them outside the five kilometre rule itself. But I think there has to be give and take on both sides of this argument. I think gun clubs might have to come a little bit along the road and have their members stay within the actual five kilometre area itself. And it's logical and a very practical solution to an issue that has really blown up and I have to say this the amount of letters, emails and interactions I've had with game clubs throughout the entire country has been absolutely amazing. I think there's been a real kind of kickback to going look we're doing everything right, we've done all we can but this literally is a Sunday afternoon, one man or one person and a dog out shooting game. Like there's no logic to this one I just think we just have to step back. And what I'm but really is this curious, very much uh, Tim a rural issue and that city-based TDs and people who make decisions will have no understanding of the impact of this move? I think there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of um, a rural-urban divide in this one. I could speak, I'm in Dublin at the moment, and I was telling my colleagues I was going discussing this, and some of them didn't even know it was an issue. So it is definitely um, an urban-rural divide in some respects. But I just do think it's like one size doesn't fit all scenario. I think that's the big issue here. I think, you know, we've really brought in really intense measures for the next four weeks. I just think we just have to have a little bit of leniency and a little bit of common sense when it comes to real practical elements of this actual lockdown itself. And yeah, but and I can understand where people who are, who are into hunting, why they feel hard done by. But equally, we've heard from people like yesterday, for example, I had a an owner of a ballet school on saying cannot understand why they have been forced to close. We've heard from people who play golf who say you social distance when you golf. They can't understand why they are not allowed to play golf people who play tennis, uh, people who are in gyms were up in arms because of the mental health side of going out and exercising. Everyone has a reason why they should be treated differently, Tim. They do, and I think there's real logical arguments in all of this, but this literally is a person stepping out his back door. And I think this is kind of akin to a person not being able to go for a walk in rural Ireland within the five kilometre space. And that's kind of how I would always describe this issue. Because what we're kind of saying here is if you're within 5k of home, and if you're to go shooting pheasants or shooting game or wherever you're shooting for that 5k, that is realistically allowing going for a person going for a walk within their actual district itself. So it's a very, very unique scenario. And I think it's akin to actually saying people you can't actually exercise within the 5k. And that's how I always describe this issue itself. But there, like, there are huge issues about trying to bring people along this road itself. I think the second lockdown has been a real, it's been a changing point for our society. I think they've been very, very, um, they've been very slow to come on board in this one. There has been a major kickback, whether it is the actual close issue that described last week, which kind of became a bit of a mess in many ways. But I think what that clothes are not essential items. Yeah, yeah, like that was the, the classic pun of it all. Like that was a, a big issue in many, many ways. And I think there was a logic in that argument that there had to be some element of, um, you know, 
which, you know, we had to take it, take on board. It had to be an emergency scenario, which we never took on board with the legislation itself. I think this, this legislation has been very, very tough on people. And I just think we're a little bit going too far when it comes to literally saying one man and his dog, 5K from home, can't do a bit of game shooting. I just think we just have to step back. Okay, probably uh, good news for the pheasants, though. Even though I did hear that a lot of the gun clubs have who rear the pheasants had oh, already had they've already released them, and that they'll yeah. end up being eaten by wild animals like foxes. That so is it's not necessarily good news for the pheasants. Around my world, just pheasants walking drugs. It's, okay. it's, it's an amazing sight. And yeah. when when you when you mentioned earlier about how they changed their minds on the funerals and brought the number from ten up back up to uh, twenty five, which was hugely uh, um, welcomed uh, by people who are facing bereavement, it's, it was it was a really tough one. The one that we are hearing a lot about, Tim, and there's a lot of upset about it, is people not being allowed to go to mass. I mean, when we had the 50 people inside in the church, all socially distanced and you had stewards from the diocese and the parishes, you know, helping people where they were allowed to sit and not sit, sit. I didn't think we'd any, I didn't hear of any case of COVID breaking out because of people going to mass. There's people very upset about that. There are. People are very upset about that. And there's other people are very upset about baptisms, um, that you won't even have four. You can't, baptisms actually cancelled at the moment. So I have people on to me who can't even themselves, their husband or whoever, and uh, a priest can't baptise a child at the moment. So there's anomalies in this entire scenario that need to be looked at. And I think the online mass system has worked to some degree. I do think, you know... That's people, not the same for oh, a lot of people. Say, yeah, yeah. It, it's really not the same as participating directly in the actual issue itself. And look, we've all known numbers have fallen at mass and it's an older demographic and everything that's going with that. I think when you look at the actual numbers at the funeral, that was a complete misnomer. I think you could only have 10 at a funeral and 25 at a wedding. They did the right thing to bring it up to 25. When it comes to the masses again, like I saw it in my own parish, it worked well. The stewards were very capable, very competent. The social distancing was like it was more than two metres. It was anything but four metres. So I just think common sense, people like... The big issue about the next four weeks is people's mental health, keeping people with us, keeping mm. people on this road. And I am really fearful, like even watching, listening to people, they are really are beginning to feel it. And I just think small little things mean an awful lot. And going to mass means an awful lot to an awful lot of people. Yeah. And it's I, not and just I the just... social interaction, it's the actual getting into the car, going to it's actually putting on your good clothes if you yeah, want to yeah, and yeah, literally going yeah, down and sitting in the church because like some people take that opportunity just to do you know get out of your PJs and put on whatever else and go down and you sit in your pew below and you're, you're happy in that space and that's a really important part of mental health and that's the one fi- and I have a parliamentary party meeting tonight and I'll be discussing both the marks the gun clubs but I really do think the campaign around the mental health of in particularly our young and our, our older generations, there has to be real emphasis put on how we're going to help them in the next three and a half weeks. OK, listen, uh, we appreciate you talking to us today, uh, Tim. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning, Tim. C103 has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Save time and money by only having to do your eye makeup. Forgot to shave? No problem. You're covered. It's easier to avoid an ex because they probably won't recognise you. 
However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you from C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. To the interview that we did in the last hour about the shooting season, which was due to begin last Sunday, uh, but uh, not going ahead because of level five restrictions. John says, I can't understand how people can travel the length and breadth of Ireland selling at various farmers markets. Yet we can't even go shooting. It is a disgrace. All of those markets should be stopped, according to uh, John. Listen, says Patricia, how are you doing? Just on the topic of hunting being stopped, we keep over 20 dogs for hunting. They're athletic, working animals that need to be walked and exercised. We need to get them out every week. They can't walk around streets. We need to bring them to rural countrysides, forestry areas, for example. The government who decide all this live in big cities and they do not understand the rural way of life, the rural way of hunting and the importance that this has on the hunting community. So somebody obviously very upset that the hunting season isn't going, the shooting season isn't going ahead. While on the other side of that, someone says, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's not a big ask to give up hunting for 12 months. I've done my fair share of shooting game over the years but I made the decision to stop a long time ago because it was a shame to shoot such beautiful creatures as the pheasant. I don't want anybody accessing my land without permission, especially during this pandemic. Give the pheasant a break and do your duty. Stay at home, says a texter. But one of the arguments when I made that point, you know, that surely this the only good news here is that the, the pheasants are going to uh, survive. I did read, because of course it is the gun clubs who raise the pheasants for shooting in anticipation of the season. And I did hear that some gun clubs around the country had already released the pheasants into the wild and now they are in danger of being eaten by wild animals such as foxes. So I don't know how many pheasants are actually going to survive this year. 1850 Now moving to a a different topic. Gardaí in uh, Cork are appealing to the public to report bogus callers. This was after a woman in her 70s in West Cork was duped into buying high-powered machinery and tools. High-powered machineries and tools that she would never use and that she certainly didn't eat. Two brothers, Thomas and Patrick O'Driscoll, both from Rathkeel in County Limerick, were before the courts yesterday. They pleaded guilty to deception at Goleen. And this actually happened in oh, two years ago now. It was November of 2018. They were both jailed for two years at the Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, was in court yesterday. And uh, Fiona joins me. Good morning to Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. This, uh, it was a really mean, nasty crime on what was basically a very vulnerable elderly lady. Just fill us in on what exactly happened on that day in November of 2018. That's right, Patricia. These brothers, Patrick and Thomas O'Driscoll, are from Rathkeel in County Limerick. And they had filled up their van with these high-powered machinery and tools like chainsaws, uh, generators, power washers, boxes of knives. And they travelled down to Skibbereen where they stayed the night. Now, the following day, they were in Skibbereen and they met this woman who was 70 at the time. And she was shopping in the town and they began talking to her and showed her the machinery that they had in the back of the van. And they were giving her brochures and she told them that she was uh, not in need of any of these um, pieces of machinery or equipment or tools and that she had no want for them. And later on that day, when she arrived home, now her home was... 40, was um, 
40 kilometres away from Skibbereen and it was in an isolated rural area. And she said that when she got home, she um, she was in her house for a short while when a van came down the lane and it turned out to be these two men. And she went out to the door and she lived alone and she said that she felt very vulnerable, very frightened, but her initial instinct was to show no fear. And she said that Patrick O'Driscoll um, stood at the door talking to her and she described him as being very charming and he engaged in conversation with her about all different sorts of things and most notably talking to her about Our Lady of Lourdes. And while he was talking to her, uh, the other brother, Thomas O'Driscoll, was carrying all of this machinery from the van into her living room. Boxes and boxes of knives, generators, power washers, and so many of them that they filled her entire living space. And she kept saying to Patrick O'Driscoll that she didn't want this stuff. And every time she said this, he changed the subject. And eventually, after about 30 minutes of getting the stuff into the house, they made her write out six checks total for different amounts. But the total amount then was €25,000. And then they left. And even when she was writing out the checks, the first two that she wrote out, they she crossed them as you would do with any check and they wanted her to rip those two up and, and start again. So the judge said in reference to that that these two men knew exactly what they were doing and they knew what they wanted. And um, when they left, she said that she felt so bewildered looking around her living room at all of this equipment. And she felt she said she felt very stupid and frightened and vulnerable. Um, but, you know, she was living alone and she, she didn't really know how to handle the situation. So the next day she rang the bank and um, they were able to stop um, four of the cheques from being cashed, but two of them had already been cashed and they amounted to €6,500. And they advised her to contact the Gardaí, which she did, and an investigation was launched and these two men were brought to court yesterday here in Cork, and they were both sentenced to two years in jail. The judge described it as a phenomenal um, act of criminality, and he said that, um, you know, given their ages, they were 38 and 39 years old, and he said that, you know, they should have known, that they knew exactly what they were at. And he said the level of planning involved and the fact that they followed this lady from Skibbereen out to her home, and, you know, that they wouldn't take no for an answer. For an answer. Um, he said that, you know, taking all of that into consideration, he said that he couldn't uh, impose, he couldn't suspend any of the sentence, and he jailed them both for two years. Now, afterwards, Superintendent Ronan Kennelly from Bantry Garda Station spoke to the media, and he made an appeal to people, and he said that. And know, I'll stop anybody, you there. I'll stop you there because I have a superintendent, okay. uh, Superintendent Ron, Ronan uh, Kennelly. Here's what he had to say: This was a very callous and heinous crime that was committed upon an elderly resident out in the Bantry area. The conviction today is vindication of her efforts to have Angarda Shikhan investigate the, this type of offence. And I would appeal to anybody in the public that has been subject to similar type incidents to come forward and we will investigate the same. Uh, I would also ask the people in the public to be aware of cold callers and bogus callers. And if they have any difficulty with them, don't engage with these people, but to ring the Gardaí and we will check out their bona fides. And we will treat everybody as a victim coming forward. It's just that an awareness out there in the community and the public to keep an eye on on your neighbours, and particularly those elderly residents people, uh, particularly in the winter hours and particularly during the COVID-19 lockdown. And we would appeal 
that if any cold callers or bogus uh, people come forward that they should be reported. Genuine tradesmen and tradespeople have nothing to worry about and they, they welcome the Gardaí checking them out. Yeah, and you know what I found most bizarre about this story, and I've seen a photograph in the papers of the amount of power tools and generators and uh, chainsaws. Whatever about if the poor woman had, they could have persuaded her to buy one generator. But I mean, what were they expecting this woman to do with all of these power tools? I don't know, and it wasn't uh, made clear in court as to why they put all of this stuff into her room and made her write out a check for this amount. Now, they had said that, you know, that other people would be coming to collect it. But, you know, I don't know where where they got the tools from. I don't know what the purpose was of putting them into this lady's house. But, you know, when you see it, like I saw, you know, you saw it, if anybody was watching the, the news on TV last night as well, they had some great shots of the amount of equipment that was in. And, you know, this was big stuff. It wasn't just like, you know... Like the, cha- the the power the generators and the power hoses alone were you know really big boxes and there was like a dozen um, generators and, and brand new brand new in brand the boxes new, yeah still in the box yeah. yeah so I don't know and that wasn't explained in court I don't know why they um, they decided to do it or why they chose this lady but um, you know it was a very very frightening experience for her and she did say afterwards that she felt really stupid for allowing it to happen God and for writing was she but in I, court yesterday. No, she no. wasn't in court. Okay. And the fact that they pleaded guilty to the charge of deception, um, you know, meant that she didn't have to go to court to face a trial, which um, the which judge did give them credit for. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully, we don't know how she's doing, but hopefully she's doing okay and um, mm. that, she, that she'll, she'll get over it. And at least by this story going public and like us talking about it, and as you say, it was on the news and it's in the papers, it's to mm. get the word out to people. You can't trust somebody cold calling like that to your door. That's right. And I mean, as the as Superintendent Kennelly said there in the piece, particularly now in the winter when the evenings are getting longer and the um, daylight is getting shorter and the, the COVID lockdown, there's a lot of people living alone. Um, you know, if anybody in their community, in their neighbourhood knows of anybody who is living alone, maybe just call in on them, make sure they're OK and, you know, let them know that if any bogus callers do come, um, you know, that, and they ask for ID and they're not able to produce a, a valid identification form to contact the guards immediately because the guards will investigate. They are treating these incidents as very serious. So, um, you know, if anybody is aware of anybody who's living alone, maybe just check in on them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OK, listen, Fiona, thank you for that and thanks for joining thank us. You. And uh, to, I, as I say, I don't know who this lady is in uh, Goleen. I don't know if she's a listener to the programme or not. If she is, we hope that she's doing really well and that she's been really brave to have come forward. And because a lot of people, I think, when they get duped like that and realise that they've been duped by con artists, how often do we hear it on our own Garda file that people are too embarrassed to come forward and say I got sucked in by a scam so I think she was very brave in going forward and contacting the Gardaí and we hope that she is okay and that life has been good for her for the last uh, two years as I say it happened this month two years ago but just please be careful and keep everybody keep a lookout for each other and if you see anything suspicious in a neighbour's house or you know, a car or a van that you don't recognise, you think something might be going on, just, you know, pop in just to say hello and to see that everything is 
is okay and everything is above board but please to everybody else do not entertain any kind of cold call as anybody calling to your door you can be polite but just do not leave them in do not engage them in uh, conversation 1850 remember earlier I read out a text from a listener who came up with I thought a rather nice idea of creating kind of pen pals writing bodies for people that are living in nursing homes and we know on post are very kindly offering free postal for free postage for anybody writing to somebody in a nursing home or if anybody's in a nursing home and they're writing to their loved ones so it won't cost you anything to post a letter once it's addressed to a nursing home and I was suggesting you know, she was this sister was suggesting maybe schools could get involved and I was saying that maybe if people contacted their local nursing home themselves just to see if there are any residents there who would like some letters from either local school children or just locals in the area I think it'd be, it'd be really nice well straight away I got a couple of texts in from listeners to say Patricia my daughter is in transition year in Kaloshta Pubbel in Bantry they've started writing letters to the local hospital to St Joseph's unit in Bantry she sent off her first letter yesterday get more young people involved so it's been going on in Bantry well done to everybody there in that particular school and somebody else has sent in from Kalosh the Pubble and Bantry. Eileen says, just to let you know, the students in Kalosh the Pubble and Bantry and the children of Kalekill Childcare and Preschool wrote letters to the patients of Deer Park Nursing Home in Bantry and they had a lovely time reading all of the letters over the weekend. Well done. So people have already are ahead of us with our suggestion but it's good for us to put it out there in the hopes that others might pick up on the suggestion and you might start to do it in your own area. It, it really would be great. And remember yesterday, was it yesterday or was it Monday? Every day rolls into the next here. Uh, we had a listener contacted us who had taken their children down to the park in Formoy, the little play park, playground. And they were playing away and they had their dog with them and their dog happened to step into a hole and they realised there was a wasp's nest inside in the hole and of course the dog disturbed it everybody had to scatter so Patrick one of our listeners contacted us to say look could you get on to the council and let them know and we gave it out as a word of warning to other parents to be careful if you're down around by the playground just to be careful because of that wasp's nest so we got on to from uh, the Cork County Council immediately to let them know they've come back to us to say they have located the wasp's nest the area has been cordoned off and Cork County Council are arranging to have it removed okay so that's a, a good ending to that story and as I say thank you to the the gentleman's name was Patrick who alerted us to it and well done to Cork County Council for reacting so quickly so that wasps nest at the play park in Formoy is going to be removed 1850 333103 C103 Jobs Qualified childcare practitioner is required for Ashes Angels Preschool that's in Mallow while a delivery van driver is required this is for work in the West Cork area Ballancolic coaches, they currently have a vacancy for a driver. It's on their school transport contract. And O'Sullivan Tires in Mallow are looking for a tyre fitter. You need to have one year's experience and a full driver's licence. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now the cost of settling a motor insurance injury claim has risen by almost a fifth over the last five years. A new central bank report also shows premiums have risen 35% over the last 10 years, while the cost of claims has fallen by 9%. Peter Boland is with the Alliance for Insurance Reform and he says motorists are being ripped off. And he joins me. Good morning to you, Peter. 
Good morning, Patricia. I, I think a lot of people are going to back you on that, that as motorists were always feeling were being ripped off. But the figures he are here in black and white. How do insurance cost companies justify not reducing the premiums further? It's very difficult to understand it at this stage, Patricia. The, the, like you say, the numbers are there in black and white. And what's all the more uh, frustrating at this stage is that this is the second year of them. So we spoke in December last year about the first report from the central bank, which was almost identical. There's been, you know, plus 1% here and minus 1% there, but the figures are identical. So essentially what they're saying is that between insurers and lawyers, there are multiples of millions being made on the back of Irish policyholders, and we are not being given a break. And you've already touched on the, the one trend that's obvious in those figures. It's very dangerous to pick one individual year and draw any conclusions on insurance because it's so volatile. But over the last 11 years, premiums are up 35%, but claims costs overall are down 9%, and insurers are pocketing the difference. Uh, and and that's consistent. reflected in their profits? Oh, 100%, yeah, and you're seeing that from individual insurers at this stage. Motor insurance is extremely profitable. Uh, in this country uh, and we're not getting the break on it so the average premium last year uh, for the full year was 676 euro um, that should be at least 100, 150 euro lower than that uh, if the trends in claims costs were being reflected uh, and they're not and I saw the motor insurance uh, industry saying, you know, that uh, more than any other industry, uh, they experience cycles of contraction and expansion and they would like to see less volatility over time. So they're saying, oh, well, should we lost on previous years? So we're only making it back up this year. Does that carry any clout with you? Not in the slightest. They're doing precisely what I've uh, warned against already. They'll pick a year and go big on it in the media if they've lost money. Uh, and there won't be a mention of the two or three profitable years beforehand uh, or the couple of profitable years afterwards. You have to look at the long-term trends because it's the only way of measuring how the industry is actually doing. And according to the long-term trends, the insurance industry is doing particularly well in this country on motor insurance. Um, and equally on uh, solicitors and barristers, for the average claim now, uh, when it, the first protocol when it comes to a personal injury claim is the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. Mm. The second stage after that is litigation. Uh, a plaintiff makes nothing extra by moving from PIAB to litigation, but the legal fees go from around €500 Euro to €15,000. So essentially the whole thing is structured to enrich a very small number of people in Ireland uh, to the detriment of society as a whole, unfortunately. Because yeah, legal costs make up 51% of settlement costs in, in cases that are litigated. They're, they're, I mean, they're very hard to justify those costs. It's eye-watering. And uh, as I said, um, on average, a plaintiff who moves from PIAB, which is essentially lawyer-free, into litigation, which is run by lawyers, uh, the only difference in that process is that the lawyers make €15,000 a case. This so, is on the minor cases. So what's the solution, Peter? How do, how do hey, we stop this well, happening? Well, listen, this was urgent. We, we've been speaking about this for about two and a half years now, Patricia. And two and a half years ago, this was urgent because it was, um, was penalising Irish motorists uh, and it was putting small businesses and charities out of business. 
Um, the same thing is still happening. It's just, to a certain extent, cloaked by COVID-19 at the moment. Um, but all the analysis has been done and all the reforms have been identified. But the problem is that none of them have happened. And you're not going to get turkeys to vote for Christmas. You're not going to get insurance companies or lawyers uh, to change the way that they operate because their job is to make as much money as possible. Um, so it's down to government to resolve this. And there are two particular issues uh, that must be sorted quickly. The first is the level of damages uh, that are handed out for minor, fully recovered soft tissue injuries. And at the moment, we're trending over €20,000 for those injuries. It's 4.4 times higher than the rest of Europe. Uh, this is like whiplash, for example. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, just to clarify, it's 4.4 times higher than the UK, which in turn is way out of sync with the rest of Europe. For minor whiplash injuries or minor slips, trips and falls, uh, bruises and minor cuts, you get nothing in the majority of Europe. Uh, And so we are an outlier. And for those who would argue, well, why doesn't everybody else come up to our level? That is not sustainable. Claims cost account for three quarters of the total cost of your premium. Uh, And the reason the premiums are so high is because claims costs are so high. And until that's addressed, Everything else is window dressing. Uh, claims costs must be reduced dramatically and that's when we're going to get a hang, uh, handle on insurance costs. Now, at the moment, the responsibility for that lies with the judiciary. The Judicial Council was established uh, with this, among other things, in mind and they're working away on it at the moment. Um, but we won't see anything publicly uh, as we understand it, until the 31st of July of next year, at which stage they're legally obliged to adopt new guidelines. Um, so we don't know what to expect, um, but certainly if they only tweak the figures, then all they're doing is tweaking the cost of insurance and that's going to have no meaningful impact. And so we would expect the, ju- the judiciary to reflect the common good. Yeah, because I know Insurance Ireland said premiums have been coming down over the last uh, two years. Are we are we starting to see a little bit of a fall in premiums? There was a marginal reduction in 2019 versus 2018, uh, but nothing like the sort of reductions that you'd expect to see, uh, given how far up they've gone over the last 11 years. And just go back to that figure again, by the way. Um, what, what I said is that premiums are up 35% over the last 11 years. That's at a time... Uh, over a period of time when we have never been safer uh, on our roads. So uh, Ireland is one of the top countries in Europe when it comes to road safety now. And the state has expended billions on roads and road safety uh, and policing. uh, And policyholders have invested in cars which are much safer uh, than they previously were. And our behaviour as a nation Uh, has improved dramatically. So we have stepped up to the mark and yet our motor insurance premiums have gone up by 35%. That's frustrating. There's no logic in that. It really is frustrating. Listener says, why are mechanics insurance premiums loaded because of their trade? That's a very good question and I don't know, but what we're finding uh, a lot over the last eight months or so is that professional indemnity insurance is starting to rocket. And when I say rocket, it's doubling and trebling. Um, so right across the trades and professions, uh, it appears to be that insurance is rocketing. And uh, we're talking an industry which doesn't really give an awful lot of explanation, which makes sense. 
a lot of the times and it's reports like this central bank uh, report which make it much easier from a policy point of view uh, to make decisions um, and like obviously we welcome it but the reality is when it comes to a mechanic and the insurance that they're paying that's up to in- individual insurance companies and it's up to governments to make sure that costs are as low as possible so that there's no room for insurers to hide on the scale of premiums. Yeah, and you know, God knows we're all living through a pandemic and, and COVID-19. You know, it's a stressful enough time, uh, Peter. I mean, insurance costs is just adding to it, isn't it? Well, it is. And like we, we've clearly, we've been working away very hard on this over the last few years. And we've had many opportunities to meet ministers on this. And what we've made very clear to them uh, over the last while is that if they expect the Irish economy to recover through SMEs, which is their stated objective, then they must get insurance sorted. And if they expect society in general to recover through community and voluntary groups, through charities and sporting organisations and cultural organisations, then again, they have to get insurance sorted because what's happening in the background now is that insurance premiums are not going down, uh, despite the fact that, as, as you well know, economic activity and social activity have collapsed in this country. So you would assume that, therefore, risk has collapsed uh, and that would be reflected in premiums. It's not. Uh, And until insurance is sorted, we're not going to be in a position to fully recover. Okay. All right, Uh, Peter, we'll talk again. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Peter Boland. He is with the Alliance for Insurance Reform. While pubs and bars remain closed all over the country due to level five restrictions, one pub in North Cork has decided to start a new life as a shared co-working space for sole traders and small businesses. To chat about this new venture, I'm joined by John Buckley of the Crossroads Bar in Butterfield. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. You're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose before we chat about your new venture, can you just give us a bit of a history of the bar? If my calculations are correct, it's been in the family for over 100 years. Well, I, not exactly, Patricia. Basically, um, my great-great-grandmother came out of this uh, establishment. Um, she was a Dempsey and the, it was in the Dempsey family up to 1936. Okay. And you know, there's been there has been several owners since then, uh, notably like the, the Dogan family. Uh, ben Dogan it was known as Ben, ben Dogan's actually for many years up to 1969 when uh, when the Canellis uh, took it over. You know, so we've, we've had a few few different owners. You know. Okay, uh, but it's been a pub. It's been a pub and uh, a restaurant for since when? Uh, 1904. 1904. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's and when? And when did you take? Business. When did you take over the running of the business then? Uh, 2007. Charlie, my wife, and myself uh, bought the place, and you know, ran it as a pub for a good few years, and uh, we added the food element in in 2012. And, and how did uh, that go for you? Uh, you know, it went quite well. Like it was very good. Uh, the pub trade was very good. Like in, obviously in the. Celtic Tiger years and you know the food business was pretty good and from about 2012 up to you know the last few years but um, we've we actually leased the uh, leased place in 2016 and you know between insurance costs and just uh, difficult trading conditions really you know the, the traders and down the last few years 
So I suppose uh, our last tenant finished in January, so we had the choice then of maybe opening ourselves again or, or trying something different. So this is the start of the road we've gone down, you know. And obviously with uh, COVID, there's no hope of it uh, being open at the moment as, as a pub or as, as a, a, a restaurant. So describe to me what's on offer and how you've changed the bar to facilitate this uh, this co-working space. Well, basically, um, especially the beer taps are gone and the, the optics and the, the spirits and the alcohol and soft drinks are gone. <laughs> um, we, we still retain the bar counter, which is now a coffee dock for our clients. Um, we've put in, we have five co-working spaces here at the moment, which we intend to expand, you know, as the thing gets busier. So, like, it's we've kind of um, redecorated the place, really. But, like, I think we've kept, uh, you know, the kind of atmosphere that was obvious here at the crossroads, which was one of a very sociable place to be, you know, and uh, good working atmosphere, really, you know. It's kind of a unique working space, really, you know. I, I've seen photographs of it. I mean, it's you You really have, have it to a very high standard. Yeah, well, I suppose just, uh, my own background is in business as well, like with a, with a transport company, logistics company, and um, my son Kevin, you know, he's involved in that and he's involved in the, the core consist. Well, he's worked in a lot of these kind of places in different cities and you know, I think he's brought some of his knowledge into you know, the way it's designed and laid out for people, you know. Looks great. It really does look great. And you and you have fibre optic broadband. I mean, that's the big plus, isn't it? It is, yeah. We have it there for the last few years, which we're pretty lucky to have it here where we are, you know. But, um, I suppose that's one of the big pluses, like, in in this this new venture, like, this people can connect you know, pretty good, like, to, to the, the internet and broadband, you know. So, like, the other thing we had to do was, like, Layout the case um, to comply with the government guidelines and the no social distancing and sanitizers and you know and all that sort of stuff. You know, so we're kind of fully up to speed on that as well. Like you know, well done. And how many clients do you already have? Uh, well, it's, I'm working here myself, which is a change for me because I, I nearly always work from home. But, uh, we have two other clients as well here at the moment. So things and we've had a lot of interest, like you know, a lot of emails coming through, people looking for information. So it's uh, pretty positive. Thank God. And who who would make an ideal cli- client? I'm, I think I mean a startup business would be ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Startup uh, business, or you know, somebody maybe that's for that's because of the current conditions have to work from home, you know, and maybe because of broadband issues or space, it mightn't be ideal for them to work at home, you know. So I suppose there's a few different angles we'd we'd be looking at, or you know, we also have uh, an opportunity for students, maybe just college students. Like if uh, some uh, counter spaces, which would be quite cost effective for them, really, you know. And I think the one thing that this whole pandemic has proven, uh, you know, once you do have the good fibre optic broadband, for a lot of people, you can be anywhere and still do your full day's work. You don't have to be in at the office. But working at home, and you've touched on it already, it doesn't suit everyone. It's Some people can find it hard to get motivated if they're living working, eating, sleeping, doing everything in their home. You're dead right there, Patricia. Um, I've done it for a few years myself and, you know, it is it is hard to get yourself motivated really when you, you know, you get up in the morning, you don't have to maybe put on the good clothes or go for the shower or whatever, you know, you just fall into work and I think it's not a very maybe healthy environment, you know, it's good to get away from the home environment and I'm sure people that are 
living with you at home appreciates you got, being gone out of the house for a while as well, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a fantastic concept that you've come up with. I also think, John, this could be the future for, for rural Ireland, couldn't it? I mean, hubs like what you've designed in Butterfant could be dotted. Once you've got the good fibre optic broadband, it could be dotted all over the country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The right side in, I suppose, look, when this COVID came, it's brought a lot of things, you know, to a head and, you know, maybe stuff like this wouldn't happen for a few years or maybe 10 years. But, uh, you know, I think people have been forced into looking at diff- different options and definitely, you know, I think it's it's an option for premises that are, you know, maybe like they're like at the moment, just uh, could find it. Absolutely. Can you ever see it reopening as a bar and our restaurant? Well, I'd love to see it open as a bar because, you know, I spent a good bit of time outside the county myself since I went to school, passed the door here and came in for ice cream on the way home the evening, you know. So, look, um, we have another part of the building which, you know, could convert easily into a cafe or, you know, a farm shop for local projects, stuff like that. So, you know, there's different angles we'd we'd be hoping that we can develop yeah, and, and we will come out of this pandemic. We will come out of the, all of these lockdowns and life will return to normal again. Yeah, you're dead right, Patricia. You're dead right, yeah. And um, you're, you mentioned you're in logistics. Are you, how's your own business um, going? Yeah, it's going quite well. Lucky enough, the pandemic doesn't really affect us that much. Um, we do a lot of uh, export into the UK. We work for meat companies and food producers mostly, you know. So, like, we are facing a big challenge with Brexit, so we will be taking on additional staff like in, on the customs side of things, which, you know, again, is going to create some employment locally, hopefully, you know. Well done. Well done. And if anybody is interested in finding out more about your digital hub at the Crossroads Bar, how do they contact you, John? Well, you know, you can ring ring me directly or they can just uh, log on to our website. It's uh, com, or we're on Facebook, you know. Okay. And uh, people can see photographs of it as well because it's a fantastic yep. space. Listen, we wish, we wish you luck with it, um, John. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Thank you very much. Good morning the, to you. The call. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 That is John Buckley of the Crossroads Bar in Butterford. No longer a bar. It is now a digital hub for anyone who is looking for, uh, for like a start-up business or... You know, I think the point John was making, people working from home, some people find that really, really difficult. Some people, it is suiting. Some people are working from home and they think it is fantastic. But only a couple of weeks ago, we had a a lady who contacted us who said her husband was finding it really difficult. His business, he's been working from home since March, since the first lockdown and has never gone back into the office. The the company he's with, they're saying to people, you stay at home and you work from home. And she was saying her husband was finding it really difficult and she actually was worried about his mental health. You know, so it doesn't work for everyone. And as I say, for a lot of people, it's fantastic. And people love the idea of not having to get dressed up in your good clothes every day. And you can you can be at work at your kitchen table, sitting in your pyjamas all day. But as I say, it doesn't work for everyone. So that's why I think um, a hub like this can certainly, there will be openings for this one and for others all over the country. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Now, some of your calls, some of your texts coming in on the whole Leo Varadkar thing that we discussed earlier on. Meg says that she is fed up with our government. They are nitpicking instead of getting on with the business of sorting out our problems, says Meg. So she doesn't storm in a teacup is what Meg sees the whole thing with Leo Varadkar with his apology yesterday for sharing that confidential contract document uh, with the other doctors at Union. She said they're just nitpicking and she thinks enough is enough. I don't know if everyone's going to agree with you because we did have some, I have had some comments in from others who feel slightly different. John feels that Leo Varadkar is damaged politically over what has happened. He makes the point that if Micheál Martin was in opposition, he would be calling for his head on a plate. But when you're in bed with the blue shirts and you've lost two ministers and are 10% in the polls, you'll hang on for dear life. Politics is the art of the possible, according to uh, John. And actually, I saw somebody else as well was on to John Paul earlier. I was it on to Sadie. Uh, Doni was saying that Micheál Martin, he felt, have, hasn't, didn't have the guts to sack Leo Varadkar. Uh, Doni, not happy with Micheál Martin as Taoiseach. He said if any other person had leaked confidential, confidential information, they would have been sacked by now. And then we had a text also in on this from Tim, who kind of has, I think, Tim, reading your text, you seem to have an understanding of what went on because you're saying when when a secret is a secret no longer, you're saying when the medical contracts were discussed, the document was confidential. But how Leo got to pass it on may be the questionable part of all of this. Tim says, for about 10 years, he said, I was working as a member of the Institute of Journalists, which was a minority union. And if we were excluded from pay talks by an agreement made by the NUJ, which would have been and is a bigger union of journalists, uh, we would have had to have found leaks somewhere. How is Leo weakened by all of this, says Tim? Well, people are still calling him Taoiseach. And that was one of the things, even Sean Defoe, when our political correspondent, when I was talking with, Sho, with, with, with Sean, he even said Taoiseach, and he'd actually been tweeting yesterday about the fact that I think three times yesterday during the course of the debate that went on, he had actually, uh, the word, somebody wrongly called the Taunish the, the Taoiseach. And I know I have to check myself a few times when I'm speaking about Leo Varadkar, I suppose we've, we've, we had been so used to calling him Taoiseach that suddenly you slip up and you'll say Taoiseach instead of uh, Thornister. So the fact that he's still been viewed as the Taoiseach, one wonders, is he politically damaged at all? 1850 I'm going to John, uh, who joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon to you. Too. Now, you are retired from the taxi business for about 10 years. Yeah, thereabouts. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is on Diet a Drink that we spoke about yeah, ye- yesterday. Yeah. You say that when you worked as a taxi driver, it was that wasn't uncommon to collect items. Oh, definitely. You get a phone call or anything like what usually in the night times in the evening or night times, bottle of vodka or twenty cigarettes, still cut purple or a pint of milk or something like that. You would also get a, maybe for a six-pack or someone might want a loaf of bread. <laughs> well, I could understand somebody wanting a loaf of bread. And the, the, for the people wanting the drink, it's because they weren't able to get out themselves, They wasn't able to get out themselves and they were having maybe a couple of friends at home. And we knew them, like, we had regulars, like, but we never had any problem. So you're, you're, 
you feel this style of drink isn't new? No. No. But this but, is... Uh, but uh, condensing like what, uh, what it is now, like, you know, with the amount of stuff that's been done. It's like, like the six-pack. Long ago, that time, you would get a six-pack. But now it's a slab. Six-pack is all good. There's a slab of cans there, one. And it's the same with the bags of crisps. Before, you get a bag or two bags. If you've got two bags, but now you'll buy a big bag of them. But when you got the call to get, be it drink, or as you say, a loaf of bread or a bottle of milk for somebody, you got the items, brought them to the house, and then the person yeah. paid you the exact yeah. amount you paid and the taxi fare. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so the minimum charge, I think, two fifty. But you wouldn't do it straight away. You would wait for maybe up to half hour for another call and you put the two together, like. The diet of drink, though, is very different. There is is a profit-making business these people are involved with and nobody seems to know who's behind this diet yeah. of drink. All right, well, OK. Going back to the pint of milk, uh, I delivered a pint of milk one night and he gave me the 250. I just remarked and I said, that's a very dear pint of milk. Or oh, he said the child had to get the bottle of milk. <laughs> he was the child and he couldn't go out. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. All right, John, listen, thank you thank for that. You. Thanks for joining us, uh, 1850 uh, Somebody was on earlier as well to say, Marion, she works in the city. She's actually working in a hospital. So she's one of our frontline workers. And she says on her way to work, she started to notice that people are putting up Christmas trees in their houses and Christmas lights and Christmas decorations are starting to go up. And she said it, she thinks it's bringing joy to the world and she said it brings a smile to her face every time she drives past seeing Christmas trees going up and we spoke about this actually on Monday at Marion I don't know if you were tuned in or not and I was making the point that now that Halloween is behind us there are some people who love to get involved in Christmas very early and there are people who always as soon as Halloween was out of the way would put up their Christmas decorations and you'd be on social media and you'd see people giving out about it and saying oh it's way too early for Christmas but I think this year with everything that's going on we are going to see more and more people deciding to put up the decorations a little bit earlier just to kind of lift the spirits a little bit so Marion is already seeing evidence of Christmas trees are a lot of anybody else noticing that in your neighbourhood? Are there Christmas trees? Are you seeing it at night that the Christmas lights are going on? And then we've had, uh, John Paul says, a few calls in from people over the last number of days remarking about the beautiful autumnal colours along our roadsides. People saying a welcome distraction from COVID and the American election video and the American elections. There's a video of the Cork to Mallow Road on the C103 Facebook page and our Twitter pages and on our Insta stories if you just want to see. That's a road that I often talk about in the autumn time has the most magnificent burst of colour. And there's another road I always love to travel and I can't now because of the five kilometre rule is the road from leaving Inna Shannon and heading to Clonakilty that road it's a bendy enough road and it is always just a burst of colour actually the road really from Bandon right down through to Clannacilty is the most magnificent road to travel on in the autumn months of your if you can enjoy it while you're travelling ideally if you are a passenger in a car you might be able to enjoy it more we don't want people distracted when they're when they're driving at the moment now some other calls coming in to us this morning if I can quickly look down through uh, some of them. James 
was on to us about the piece that I did with Fiona earlier. She was in court yesterday. These two brothers, these, and I'm using the word scumbags and I'm not apologising for it at all. These two O'Driscoll brothers from Limerick who, who went to that woman who was in, she was 72, I think, was she 70 at the time anyway, the woman in Goline and went to their house and got six cheques totaling €25,000 and in exchange left her with all these machinery and tools, chainsaws, generators, power tools, knives, things she was never going to be able to use or sell on or and just filled up her, her home floor to ceiling with these items and then took off with, with the money. They were before the courts yesterday and they've ended up getting a two-year jail sen- sentence which I'm really thrilled about. Uh, in the victim impact statement that the, the lady herself wasn't in court, she said she was very worried when the men arrived at her, her house but her instinct told her not to show fear and but they then persuaded her to write the cheques. She told the court that she was going through a lot of trauma at the time and wasn't in a proper frame of mind to deal with the men she added she was frightened and embarrassed by the incidents it was just dreadful dreadful behaviour and the judge actually said that the men's behaviour had been a total invasion of the woman's privacy absolutely it was but James is questioning how they managed to cash two of the cheques because James says if he goes into a bank to cash a cheque it has to go into his account they won't just give you the cash so he's wondering how did they cash the cheques now I can't find the detail on that. All I know is that two of the cheques had been cashed by the time this lady got onto her bank in Skibbereen. They managed to stop the rest of the cheques. What I'm assuming happened was, though James, but I'm open to correction, I'm assuming they lodged it into some accounts themselves. Was that how it was done? Because they must have they must have it must have been through the bank that they traced who these guys were because obviously she didn't have a name and, and, and address for them they'd actually use false names when they were talking to her so I'm assuming that they the Gardaí when they started to investigate managed to track them down through a bank and it must have been through them cashing the cheque into a bank account was it but I've no way of knowing I, 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 and you're dead right James you can't just walk into a bank and hand in a cheque and then they'll hand you over the cash they will always insist that it gets lodged into a bank account so you certainly are right there 1850 333103 but we ran with that story today because we want people to be aware of people cold calling and just to be really really careful and to check in on vulnerable and elderly neighbours and friends and make sure that they're not being duped by scams like this. Now a Bantry listener says Hi Trisha last year a guy called to my door. He was asking me to change over my electricity supplier. The first thing he said was, don't worry, I'm not the guardie, which I thought was a very strange thing for him to have said. Then he went on to try to change me from Electric Ireland, which is the company I'm with, to another company. I said I wasn't interested and I eventually got rid of him, said a Bantry listener. They are salespeople who come to your door and they can be very, very persuasive as well. But that they're in business. They're, they're legit. They're with a company but never I've we've, we've addressed this issue before in the past as well never feel pressurised I mean if somebody comes to your door and they're trying to get you to either change your electricity or they might be trying to get you to sign up to a new television supplying company or it might be a new phone company whatever it is I mean if it's a good deal and if you've been thinking about changing your supplier that's fine but never feel pressurised because at the end of the day the guys and gals and it's mainly guys more than girls isn't it it's anyone I've had at my door it's mainly men but they really are good they're they're salespeople. that's what they're trained to do but you only sign up if you're absolutely happy with the package and it's something you want to do but other than that I just run them from the door and say no not interested 
the line I normally use is that oh I've just signed a new contract and of course they don't want they want nothing then to do with me because they know for me to get out of the contract it's going to cost money and nobody's going to do that so I always think that's a kind of a pretty good line to use if you just don't, if you're trying to be polite you don't want to be rude to these people but you just don't want to be standing at the front door having a big conversation as to why you should change over to their electricity company just tell them you've signed only in the last month. 1850 103 lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Cove GAA are continuing their online Zoom bingo. It's every Sunday night. You can check out their Facebook page for details or the Cork Diary section on the C103 website. And the Avenue Macra, they're fundraising for the Irish Heart Foundation and they're holding a virtual speed dating night. Now it's happening Friday week, the 13th of November. To participate, you firstly must complete the survey on the Avenue Macra social media page, then donate a minimum of €10 to the Irish Heart Foundation to the GoFundMe link, send proof of your donation to avendumacra at gmail.com and then you'll receive a link on the night to the scheduled Zoom meeting where you could end up meeting the partner of your dream. Some of your thoughts coming in. Anne is also querying how those brothers from Rathkeel who got the money out of the woman in Goldeen, how they managed to uh, cash the cheque. Uh, she said it normally takes five days to clear a cheque. How did they manage to cash? They cashed two of them to the sum of, was it six and a half thousand euro? And then the bank managed to stop. I'm just looking, trying to see the timeline on it because I know she contacted the bank on the 23rd of November. Did I see somewhere it was the 20th of November, even though our Fiona said it was the next day? But yeah, there's a, a, I can't see anything in any of the information that came out in court yesterday. There's no real details of how the cheque was actually cashed. But it's interesting that a number of people are citing the same thing of saying, how do they manage to cash any of the cheques in such a short period of time. Anna said she saw a brief amount of prime time last night and couldn't believe the carry-on of Leo Varadkar and everything that went on in the Dáil. We're in the middle of a pandemic and all the government want to do is pick on each other. I will never forget the day when back in March when Leo Varadkar made his speech and it went worldwide. Uh, This was about how we were heading into lockdown. I'm assuming it was that speech, Anna. Uh, We were all saying what an amazing leader we had. They needed to come together rather than nitpicking at each other. That's from Anna. DJ to C103 Facebook Messenger says to see Fianna Fáil TD Niall Collins on TV last night trying to defend Leo Varadkar's behaviour in leaking a confidential document is nothing short of cringeworthy. Even his own colleagues in Fianna Fáil know that he was wrong and I'm assuming you mean even his own colleagues in Fianna Gael uh, know that he was wrong. That's from uh, DJ. And then Marie was on to us. You know the way we're constantly promoting about shopping local and how important it is to shop local. Marie says on the whole shopping local she needed to buy a book and she saw it advertised for in the paper for 15 99 She said, oh, just the book that I want to do. So she decided I'll do my bit. I'll shop local. So she rang a local bookshop to say, do you have this book in stock? Do you do click and collect? Do you do delivery service? What do you do? And they said, we do. How much is it? 21 euro. She said, I then went online and discovered it in an online bookstore with postage for the 15 99 Five euro is to me a total rip-off, says Marie. How can they expect people to shop local with prices increased like that? I managed to buy it online for five euro cheaper and it got delivered to my uh, door. Uh, Yeah, smaller businesses. I know it's the cost of doing business and all of that. 
I'm, and, and I know exactly where you're coming from, Marie. If budgets are tight and coming up to Christmas, budgets will be tight. And we've got people who are not in work because of the pandemic and people have lost their jobs and won't be going back to work even when restrictions are lifted and money is tight. And that's why, and when we're encouraging people to shop local, that's if you can afford it. I mean, if you can find a product where you're managing and five euro is important to a lot of people. For others, five euro might be nothing. But to you, five euro can be really important. So, yeah, I can understand. And you will hear that of people. You'll hear that of people saying, I'd love to shop local, but I just can't afford uh, to do it. But the shopkeepers, the small shopkeepers, who are trying to keep going, their cost of business is so high, they don't have the same profit margins that the larger stores. I mean, when you went to an online bookstore, it was, you know, a big bookshop that can buy in books much cheaper because of the amount of books that they're buying compared to, say, your little bookshop that might be only buying five or six of a particular title and will therefore be paying more than somebody that can go in and buy 5,000 of the same uh, title. So it's always, it is a tricky one. It really is a tricky one. But please do not let that put you off shopping local for other items. And by text, I can see some questions coming in for Peter. If you can keep those coming in, uh, Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, will be joining us 1850 You can text or WhatsApp a question to 0862 103 103. And just a couple of comments in on the shooting season. And we spoke about this earlier, the fact that the shooting season has been called off for this year because of level five restrictions. Sheila says, Patricia, I always like the shooting season because the men bring boxes of chocolates, bottles of wine and whiskey, as well as the odd pheasant, especially when my children were younger and I didn't have much money, says Sheila, who obviously lives in a rural area. And then Michael says, Patricia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Michael. Just on the shooting issue, there's a huge difference between shooting and hunting and I hope I didn't use hunting instead of shooting. If I did, I apologise. But Michael wants to point it out. Shooting is generally small numbers, well spread out. While fox hunting has hordes of dogs with large amounts of followers, which I could see would certainly not be a good idea during a pandemic. Marts are also a very big issue at the moment. Prices have dropped significantly. And then on the topic of masses, I think it is very possible for masses to be said safely. But there are priests, according to Michael, out there who are allowing people into the church even now, which isn't good for the ones who are abiding by all of the rules and the regulations in everything at this time. Public health must come first, says Michael. And when you say priests are allowing people into the church, churches are open for private prayer. Are you saying that you know priests who are allowing people into the church while they're saying mass and the rest and the front door is actually closed. I don't know quite what your insinuation there, but the churches are open for private prayer. They're just not open for a public mass. And somebody else says on hunting slash shooting, they're all cruel. There is no need to shoot wildlife, according to that texter to 0862 103 103. Now, a father and son who have been living on a bus outside of Blarney for the last four years have thanked everyone who has helped them to get a new home. Patrick and Adrian Walsh spent their first night in a mobile home that's been placed onto the site. It's the result of a combined effort by the local community, public donations and companies such as Blarney Castle and William O'Brien. Now speaking to our senior news reporter Fiona Cork. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Patrick and Adrian thanked everyone for their new home. Patrick says it was simply fantastic to be in their new house. Oh, great compared to the, the little bus. <laughs> We've got the, the bit closed now today and the sheets and the pillows and cases. Oh, we're, going, we're in town. We're moving later on. We're, uh, we'll have to do the cooking over there now until the cooking will start out there. And the uh, electric in. And I mean, I getting colder and damper. Yeah. So how important is it now to, to get in here at this time of the year? Oh, very important. Freezing that bus in the morning. Very much wake up. You have to get up over. You couldn't stick it. Uh, what was the most difficult thing about living there? There's no water. You have to go to the toilet out in the shed. You have to travel the city for the water. And diesel for the car to keep the television going. I've come back around to the car and batteries in the bus and the kids are telling going in the satellite. No fridge, which gets over every second morning. You can only get uh, two days food or it'll be gone off. So you have this uh, mobile home now. So just tell me what you have now that you didn't have on the bus. I have more space, comfort, and you can feel the, the heat coming to, through the windows because there's only our tin on one side of there. And we have a generator. To run the electric. So what are you looking forward to most about tonight now when you move in here? They just don't think so far because there's, there's no power yet. We'll have the heat turn on and yeah. So it'll be warmer than the bus and there's more air coming into that bus than, than the heat that can handle, you know. This will be your uh, first Christmas in four years where you actually have somewhere to call home? Yes. Yeah. I'll cook the turkey and there's Smart Christmas tree for all in the corner. <laughs> Are you able to celebrate Christmas on the bus? No. no. Boiled chicken is all we had. But the sun is all being roast chicken. Yeah. Or a bit of turkey you know, after the dinner. That's what we was you know. The whole works now, When we get the cook, we're going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm delighted we were working with this. We wouldn't have survived the winter uh, with the cold. I want to thank you all very much. God help him. That's Patrick, the dad. And of course, Patrick is looking after his son, Adrian. Uh, Adrian suffered head injuries in an accident in the UK. Uh, Fiona also spoke to Adrian, who said he was really happy about the new mobile home. I'm delighted. I'm delighted for my dad as well. It's, 
Papa Homely, that bus is, oh Jesus, this comfortably. The bus is wrecked. Yeah, so, I think no, not 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 for a while, Jesus, not. So, what's the first thing you're gonna do now when you move in, Adrian? Oh, a, a big munch, and then into the bed. Chilo, thank you very much. Major dreams come true. Yeah, thank you. God help him, God help him. And Kate Durant was the community activist who we had spoken with. It was Kate who alerted us to the situation that Patrick and Adrian found themselves in and she has been helping out the pair and she set up the GoFundMe page and I know a number of our listeners and I know we got money sent in here and we sent it straight on uh, to, to Kate for them. Uh, she was there yesterday and she thanked everybody who helped out and everybody who helped to set up the new home. Here we are, here's the house. What, how many months later? I suppose it took us five months to get to this stage, but thanks to the kindness of Blarney Castle Estate and everybody who contributed to the GoFundMe, loads of people said offers of help and offers of housing and people put down hardcore and people laid pumps and the kindness of strangers has just been incredible. And is there anything else that you need? Yes, yes, we're, we're not quite finished. Um, it's a beautiful house, but we're still short a few connections. There's, we need to, to do a little bit of plumbing. And as anybody knows, a little bit of plumbing is never a little bit of money. Um, we need to put down a little bit of hardcore outside so it doesn't get destroyed because they're on a uh, river site. Um, we just need to do, I just like to really see it out to leave it as it should be. And then we can all happily leave them close the door and go off knowing that they're going to have as good a Christmas as the rest of us. And if anybody does want to help, what can you do? There's a GoFundMe. It's a home for Patrick and Adrian Walsh, so they'll find it on that. Um, so if anybody has any spare change, I can assure them that every single penny will go to the to the use of keep making sure these two gentlemen who spent four years sleeping in a bus uh, sleep in their own beds safely and warmly as they deserve. And listen, well done to Kate. She's an amazing woman uh, as well and we wish both Patrick and Adrian a long and a happy life in their new uh, home and how wonderful Christmas is going to be for them. Now a couple of comments in. A couple of people reacting to Marie who was speaking about wanting to buy a book. She saw the book uh, in, in a newspaper 15.99 went to buy it in a local bookstore to be told it would be 21 euro she ended up buying it online delivered to her door for 15.99 she thought an extra 5 euro buying it in the local bookstore she thought was too expensive even though she wanted to shop local Anthony says I'm a local business person and I understand what Marie is saying but that is why the likes of small electrical stores bookshops are gone and the bigger retails in the outlet centres are the ones that are blossoming and that's where people go to buy their items it's because bigger businesses can buy in bulk smaller stores cannot we also have to pay rates and much more it's the cost of doing business which is the point I was making but the thing is your local shop and your local bookstore or your local supermarket they're the ones that everybody Marie and everybody else will run to when they want to raise funds for charity it's the local businesses who get get approached for sponsorship or if they're looking for hampers or they're looking for spot prizes or prizes for a raffle be it for their local soccer club their GAA whatever it it may be it is in the big multinationals but um, uh, while Anthony understands where Marie is coming from you have to point out that it's the small businesses it's not the small businesses fault they're not deliberately in there trying to overcharge people they don't have any other choice and I know somebody else was saying hi Patricia tell that lady Marie that she can't expect local shops to complete to compete with multinationals people like her are the reason the shops are closing 
1850 Dennis says, Patricia, the lads got the woman, or oh, this is the woman in Goline, the lads got the woman to tear up the first cheques as she had crossed them and they got her to rewrite them, obviously to cash. Banks will still cash cheques if you walk in and they're made out to cash. Are they not crossed if you go into a branch? I didn't realise that. I always thought you had to lodge a cheque straight into an account. I, I didn't think they would be obviously Dennis said yeah and and maybe that's what these guys did maybe that's exactly how they managed to get the money so uh, quickly Patricia what kind of people are out there somebody has just dumped a cat at my door it's a friendly cat I already have some is there anybody out there would like a lovely cat says uh, a texter people dumping cats it's just uh, shocking on cold calling and sales people coming to the door trying to persuade you to change your electricity supplier or your phone supplier uh, texter says when I open the door and some salesperson like that is at the door the sister says I say oh my husband doesn't allow me to deal with things at the door even though he's been dead for the last 22 years <laughs> but they don't, don't know that and gets rid of the person straight away sorry no my husband says no can't be dealing with you goodbye and they are gone immediately someone on Leo says hi Patricia the, I, the IMO the Irish Medical Organisation angered a lot, lot of doctors what Leo was trying to do was get everyone involved he committed no uh, crime and the West Cork listener says hi Patricia just wondering would any of your listeners know where I can buy a barometer in Cork or anywhere near West Cork please anybody know where there's a barometer on sale again we're trying to do the shop local so somewhere in the West Cork area or in the city if anyone has seen a barometer or you're in a shop uh, you are a shop owner and you're selling barometers will you let us know so we can pass that information on to our listener please 1850 Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103 Hi this is Nick and I love the same songs that you love Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen Flash Dance What a Feeling I Want to Dance with Someone by Whitney Houston oh, Papa Don't Preach Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener from the IrishGardener.com, <coughs> joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, uh, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Michael has been on. Oh, I wasn't here last week. I was off and John Paul was here. Uh, so this qu- question must have come up last week because Michael said, we've decided to keep the lime trees that I was speaking oh, yes. with you about yes. last week. But yes. now Michael for, has further questions saying, do I prune them hard or do I leave a piece of the limb and when is the best time to prune them? Okay. Yes, what this is, Michael actually wasn't on the, the radio station. Michael rang me during the week to ah. ask ask my opinion on lime trees. Now, I couldn't answer him, Michael, unfortunately, because I don't know, obviously, the lime trees uh, and that. So he has a line of lime trees coming in his driveway uh, and somebody had told him to take them down and he was wondering, could he prune them? And again, unfortunately, the same answer, without seeing it, I can't be certain. But what I did say to Michael, and in fact, the call to the radio station has reminded me because I didn't do it. I did tell him I'd pass him on the phone number of, of a tree surgeon. Okay. Uh, so I would get somebody to look at that. Neil Vaughan is the name of the person I meant to send the number to. Uh, so, if Michael, if you're listening, Neil, Neil Vaughan, if you Google him, he, he, I think he goes under Musquee Tree Care. Ask, ask him to have a look at it, see what he says. I'd be slow to take them out just because there's a, they're a line of, of semi-mature, if not mature, trees. 
Uh, but honestly, I can't give good advice on the pruning of them. Yeah, and you hate to see trees come down unless it's absolutely oh. necessary. Yeah, yeah it's no, old, no, it's no, awful. If it, if, it, if it is necessary, then it is. Yeah, but if it's it not... But if it's not, let's try and avoid yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, Kathleen wants to know, what is the best way to keep tuberous begonia bulbs alive during winter? Well, well all you're doing with the tuberous begonias, and of course it's a very apt uh, time of year for the question, because it's a... Uh, I, I, I presume up there you had a frost overnight because we certainly did down A there hard city. one. Yeah, it was quite hard here as well. So at this time of year, you will begin to see your tuberous begonias and things like that and, and daily beginning to succumb now to the cold temperatures. So what happens with the begonias when they do turn to mush overnight? Uh, the, the, you, you take them out of the ground, the tubers, you take them out of the ground uh, let them dry off for a day or two, somewhere cool and dry, and a bit of newspaper or something. If you have a greenhouse or a polytunnel, ideal. Uh, if not, if you can just find an area of your kitchen, just let, let them dry out somewhere for a couple of days. Then wrap them in newspaper uh, or something similar, brown paper, newspaper, even a bit of straw into a paper bag, uh, and just literally keep them somewhere cool and dry um, for, for until we until you start planting them out again next year, which will be in around February, March, where you'll start looking at planting them on. For next year, I know plenty of people who, and in fact, I got a, a lovely gift a couple of years ago, Trish. I had advised or helped this lady, she had a query for me uh, uh, on her tuberous begonias, which she had growing. Uh, and I'd say this lady was in, in her 60s and she had got them from her mother, who had grown oh. them for I think 30 or 40 years before that. And so the tubers were at least 100 years old, at least. Incredible. And I, God, that's fantastic. But didn't she very kindly, didn't she drop me up some tubers? Uh, someday when I wasn't around it was very very kind of her uh, and I've grown them since so now they're, they're spreading a hundred years later but it's anyway she, she stores them in the attic uh, so I mean somewhere if you have an attic that's, that's cool and dry that's an ideal place to store those kind of things Okay Good luck with that Kathleen uh, Could you ask Peter please when is it okay to move a rhododendron it didn't do too well where I planted it two years ago that's from Bridget Okay well from two years ago Bridget should be safe safe enough to move it. Uh, evergreen plants in particular, uh, rhododendrons and camellias, things that can be problematic to move. Some of them just won't tolerate it at all. But if it's only two years in the ground, you should be safe enough. Just get as big a root ball as possible when you're moving it and do pay attention to watering it next year, next spring and summer, because it won't repair the root damage immediately. So you will need to pour water in it. To, to get to the answer of the question, when is the time to do it? You really want it to be mid-midwinter. You don't want it to be now, okay, we had a frost last night, but we really want temperatures to drop and to stay dropped. We want that plant to be fast asleep in the middle of its winter dormancy. So really, you're probably looking at the month of January is the best time to do it. Mike in Bantry. Hi, Peter. Can you plant roses now and are bare-rooted ones better? You can plant anything now. Now, like autumn, okay, we're technically in winter, I know that, but I mean, autumn, winter is the perfect time for planting because it gives plants a chance to, to establish in their new home before they start growing next spring. So it's a good time to plant everything. Uh, and traditionally, uh, everything was planted kind of sometime between September, October and February, March. But of course, with the onset of modern, I say modern, but they're 60, 70 years old now, garden centres where everything is grown in pots, uh, we can plant things 12 months of the year. But traditionally, it was at this time of the year. So yes, the answer to the question is perfect time to grow roses. Are bare roots better than potted? I have no strong feelings on that, to be honest with you. Uh, the, 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 the bare root ones may establish a bit quicker. There's certainly You will certainly need to pay more attention to watering if they're bare root. Um, and the other thing is, of course, bare root will probably be cheaper because there's far less labour and materials involved in their production. However, on saying all that, uh, there are fewer and fewer 
suppliers of bare root roses around the place. So if you can find them, uh, I would certainly plant bare root because they are cheaper. But but I, in terms of horticulture, are they any better than containerized? I would say I, I I wouldn't have any opinion on that. Really, they're both just as good as each other. Okay, Sandra has dropped us an email. Quick question for Peter: I have a small pinus muggle. And it says yeah. in brackets, a small pine plant in a pot. It's like a little pine yeah. tree, is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the top needles got burned from frost in the past and the new ones never grew back. Is there anything I can do? I should have cut back these branches because it looks a little bit strange the way it is. The, the answer to the question, I would cut them back, yes, because they won't. When, when a conifer like that, when needles go brown, <coughs> they won't regenerate. They won't green up like, they would, like you might get a you know, deciduous tree would obviously drop its leaves and then the fresh ones will be green again. Uh, and many other evergreen plants will just may drop those leaves and replace them with new ones. But when it comes to anything coniferous, no, they won't. So I, the answer to the question is I would remove it, uh, prune them and, and, and wait for it to regenerate. But uh, I don't know if it's frost that did it because Pinus Rugo will tolerate, will tolerate extreme cold if you grow up in mountains. So anyway, I don't know whether it was frost or not, uh, but if the rest of the plant is fine, I wouldn't worry about it. But, but just be aware that I don't think it was frost. It might be something else if you see any more dieback. OK, but just trim it off so that it looks a bit better. Uh, Kate says, hi, question for Peter, please. What should I do with the magnolia that, that when the leaves go brown and it produces very few blooms? I also have a camellia in a large pot that doesn't bloom that well either. Any advice, please? The camellia in the large pot, uh, I'll deal with first because it's probably easier. So there's several things that you'd have to bear in mind there. Anything that's growing in a pot has a very finite amount of nutrients and moisture available to it. So you have to provide that plant with what it needs. And what it needs is a few things. It needs a good sulfate of potash or, or any kind of plant food rich in potassium and phosphorus. And it needs that during the late summer and autumn because it's from July to September that that camellia sets its flower buds for next year. There's no point at all in treating it with tomato food or sulfate of potash in the spring because it's not going to produce buds then they're already on the plant now for next year. So if it's growing in a container, give it something like that in the autumn. Give it a good uh, ericaceous or acid plant feed during the rest of the year as a general kind of plant tonic because any nutrients that were in that pot uh, are probably long since gone. So you really need to give it its nutrients uh, and you need to pay attention to watering. The other thing with the camellia growing in a container is uh, it may be in the wrong aspect. So if, it's, if they don't like to face south, or they don't like to face east. So if, if you're not sure what way they're facing, uh, the camellias don't, do not like to see the sun early in the morning. Plenty of sunshine in the evening is fine, or semi-shade all day is fine, but certainly not early morning sun. So maybe, maybe move it if that is the case, but nutrients would be important. As regards the magnolia, if it's, if it's flowering poorly, then I would suggest, well, just as I did for the camellia, because it, it's a category that is set to protect its flower buds in summer and autumn for opening next spring. So again, a good bit of potash at that time of the year. But the leaves going brown, now I'm presuming that it's not that the leaves are going brown now, which would be totally natural. That's just autumn leaf change. And if they're just going brown now and falling, then that's fine. Uh, if, if that's not the case, if it's the fact that they're going a kind of dirty, disease-looking brown earlier in the year, then it could be a fungal or bacterial disease, some pathogen getting into it. Again, without seeing it, I couldn't say for sure. Um, if, it is, if you think it is like that, or if that makes more sense, uh, then I would certainly remove any, any disease leaves, remove any leaves from around the base of the plant, give it a pruning. The time to prune it is not now. The time to prune it would be magnolia. You would prune kind of next April, May time. Prune it then. 
screen off any any of the stems that have diseased leaves, drench the whole plant with the with the solution of the copper sulfate mixed with water, because that is a good, good broad spectrum organic fungicide. Uh, and that should work. I'd be hopeful that that would work between that and good feeding, uh, and it should come good. Now, the other thing is, of course, with magnolias, they do need to be quite mature before they'll flower. Some of them need to be 15 years of old. Oh, wow. The flower, yeah. Well, you, need, yeah. you need to be patient. And Marine from Oi is planning on being busy. Could you ask, Peter, how long after spreading sulphate of iron on moss can you scarify? I'm not, first of all, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of using sulphate of iron on moss because what sulphate of iron does is it does kill the moss, but it'll turn the moss brown and black. But what you're doing by adding sulphate of iron to the, to the lawn is you're, you're making the soil there more acidic. You're, you're lowering the pH of the soil, which is, of course, ideal conditions for the, 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 the development of moss. So I wouldn't use sulphate of iron on the lawn. But if you have, it will kill the moss. I w- certainly wouldn't be scarifying it at this time of the year. So if you put it on in September, October, I wouldn't scarify it now until March. Okay, and very quickly, when do the leaves go red on the Christmas plant? I'm assuming somebody's talking the about the plant sunset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, as you well know, Trish, because I'm doing this programme with you a long number of years, and ponsettias are not my strong point, so I would actually be open to anybody else to answer that question because I can never get them to, to do it um, they, they do it in the ones you buy in the shops and in the gardens they're forced an yeah and that's exactly. the reason that they're red this year you're not exactly. going to get them red at Christmas okay we've got to wrap it up there listen have a great week and we'll, talk, we'll talk to you next Wednesday thanks for that that is uh, Peter Dowdle from the irishgardener.com and that's where I've got to wrap it up for today my thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. It's a gorgeous afternoon. Do your best to try to get out and get uh, some bit of sunshine if you can and enjoy it. Uh, until tomorrow 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7 on C103. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.